Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to this, one of our end-of-the-year editions of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. Part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode 274, we visit with Mark West, a professor, author, and blogger on all things books and writing in Charlotte with his weekly storied Charlotte blog. You won't want to miss this episode. Mark brings his top 10 suggestions for books of the year by Charlotte authors or books about Charlotte. Mark is a professor of English at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, where he's been teaching courses on children's and young adult literature since 1984, although he might tell us he's retired. We'll talk about that. He also holds the title of Bonnie E. Cohn Professor in Civic Engagement. He's written or edited 16 books. He is a book lover who enjoys writing and talking about books, which is great because that's what we do on Charlotte Rear's podcast. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. Speaking of writing, shameless plug here by the other sponsor of this podcast, which happens to be me. Uh, I have a novel coming out uh, in the spring of 2022. It's called Deadly Declarations. You can find out more about that at LandisWay.com. There's pre-order information there uh, for ebook and print book as well. It's uh, it's a novel that uh, explores a 250-year-old North Carolina mystery set in Charlotte, uh, which if solved uh, might change U.S. history, uh, possibly the first great American government conspiracy. John Adams called it one of the greatest curiosities and one of the deepest mysteries that ever occurred to him. And Thomas Jefferson called it spurious and an apocryphal gospel. I'm talking about the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, which is the heart of this novel. Uh, but it's modern day, set in a uh, retirement community where the reality of getting older is a combination of fear, doubt, humor, and new life. And where these characters that uh, I've invented transport readers to the courtroom and then to the Virginia countryside to prove that age is just a number when searching for and finding the truth. Hope you'll check that out at landisway.com. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Mark, welcome. Well, thank you, Landis, and uh, congratulations to you on your new forthcoming book. I'm looking uh, forward to reading it. I, I appreciate that. You did that just like I asked you to, you know, just... Uh, right no, you did ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, I appreciate that. Uh, so, Mark, we you know we corresponded a lot by email, and we and, and I pitched your blog in the newsletter, and you you put stuff about Charlotte's podcast and your in your blogs. It's fun to be finally together again on the podcast to talk about uh, this thing we're doing, and 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 the thing you're doing, Story Charlotte blog. I think 
kind of arose out of something else. It was like a a Monday missive you did while you were teaching. Is that right? Well, for almost eight years, I was the chair of the English department. And one of my goals when I was chair of the English department was to, it's a big department, and I wanted to kind of create a sense of community within the department. And I thought one of the ways to do that was to make sure that we were all familiar with what each other was doing and to celebrate our accomplishments and and just to keep in touch with the events that were happening in the department. So I decided to do that by writing what I thought was going to be just a newsletter that I would send out every by email every Monday and trying to use a little alliteration, I called up my Monday missive. And my Monday missive was just an internal sort of thing. It was just intended for the English department. But other people became interested in it. And um, the woman who's still the dean of the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences asked me if I would turn it into a blog. Well, unlike you, Landis, I'm not very good with technology. But (laughs) people came along and said, oh, well, we'll we can help you with uh, creating it into a, a blog. And so that was how my Monday Missive blog came to be, but it was still pretty tied to the university uh, and to the English department. When I stepped down as the chair of the English department uh, a couple of years ago, I pulled the plug on my Monday Missive because I wasn't uh, right. I wrote it from the perspective of being the chair. But all sorts of people got upset with me when I pulled the plug on the Monday Missive and they said, well, you should do something else. Uh, We miss it. Um, so I was trying to figure out what could I do that would, um, uh, be similar to the Monday Missive, but not be university based. And that is how I, uh, the birth of, um, my storied Charlotte, um, blog came to be. I really wanted to really reach out to the larger community, not just to the university. Now, the university is part of the larger community, and I'm not trying to discount that. But, you know, I do a lot of community work. I've done community work ever since I've been here, uh, starting in 1984. And, you know, recently they recognized me for that by giving me this fancy uh, title of Bonnie Professor for Civic Engagement. Um, and I see my storied Charlotte blog as kind of part of my community engagement work, but it is clearly tied uh, in terms of origin story uh, to the Monday Missive that I did for almost eight years. Yeah, well, that is really great. I mean, I've enjoyed reading it. Uh, you do a great service by you know, advancing uh, what's going on in Charlotte in terms of the writers and not just the writers. We'll talk more about this on our Patreon episode listeners. We're going to go over after this and we're going to do stories from Storage Charlotte. We're going to talk not just about Charlotte writers on Patreon, but also about writing organizations uh, and hear more about uh, what Mark's been telling stories about. But Mark, I will say that I think you overestimated my ability with uh, technology. I came along kind of like you, try, struggling to try to figure out you know, what a podcast is. We, you're a lot more technological than you think because you've, you've made this blog work and it's it's nice. And it's uh, not only that, the thing I like, Mark, is there's a lot of variety. We try to do that on the on the podcast, but you do a lot of variety in what you do with Story Charlotte. Talk about the importance of that. Well, I really love the word story. The word story means an awful lot to me. Um, I uh, I think that that's one of the ways in which we construct meaning in our lives is through this sharing and creating of stories. Um, and 
you know, one of the ways that we tell stories is through the written word, through books, and that's important to me. But um, I actually have, going back into my uh, deep past, I was at one time a professional puppeteer, and I performed, I was living in Wisconsin at the time, this is back in the 70s, but I performed throughout the state of Wisconsin, and so I know from that experience and from other things that I've done over the years that there's lots of ways to tell a story. You can tell a story through a film, you can tell a story through theater, you can tell a story through art, you can tell a story um, uh, in more folkloric sort of ways, and so... Since I created the Story Charlotte blog, I decided to give myself permission to deal with storytelling in its many different forms. Um, but I always wanted to have a Charlotte connection. Um, so I focus primarily on Charlotte writers, but I veer off course every now and then. And I talk about, I'm a tremendous supporter of our wonderful public library, as I know you are too, Landis. I, I know that uh, the public library is uh, listed as one of the sponsors of Charlotte Reader's podcast. And I know we both really uh, support the wonderful community work our public library does. So I try to support things like that as well, because that's one of the ways in which storytelling uh, happens here in our really uh, story-rich city. So, Mark, you're absolutely right that uh, about the library. They're, they've been a great supporter of the podcast. I love the library. What I don't love, although I will eventually, is the fact that they're having to box everything up and move around for the next couple of years while they build this great uptown facility for the library. But they're, they're having to move the Robinson Spangler Room, moving some other things around. So it'll be a little harder in the next couple of years. But in two or three years, it's going to be a wonderful place, I think, to gather. And they'll still be doing all the things they do you know, out and about uh, at, at the branches and so forth. Yeah, we have a r remarkable branch system in Charlotte, one of the best in the country, actually, in terms of uh, how the outreach that we have through the branch system into every part of uh, the county, really. Um, a long time ago, when I first came to Charlotte, I did a lot of uh, performing and storytelling in the Charlotte library system. And uh, that really got me familiar with all of the different uh, branches, but also uh, sometimes just outreach, loca outreach locations that that they work with. So, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. It's going to be hard not to have the uh, main library available, but Imaginon is still working. Imaginon is, you know, a one-of-a-kind facility. There's nothing else like it in the entire world. Um, so, uh, you know, there's still... Uh, we'll miss the library while they build it. And, you know, my son's an architect. And so I'm fairly um, familiar with uh, vagaries related to the building industry. And I'm sure there'll be slowdowns and difficulties as they go through the first destruction uh, and then rebuilding that whole big uh, new facility. But when it's done, it will be a true treasure, I think, a, a Charlotte treasure. Yeah, and, and you're right. There's still uh, ways to engage with the library while they're doing this construction. All the branches, uh, you know, they must have 28 or more branches in, in, the, in the county system. Plus, you can do things online. You can check out books online, all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So it's there. So, hey, Mark, before we jump into the uh, 
to your top 10 uh, books uh, for the year, a little bit about uh, you and your writing. I said at the outset, you've written uh, 16 books or edited that uh, many as well. And uh, the most recent of which is Shapers of American uh, Childhood Essays on Visionaries from L. Frank Baum to Dr. Spock to J.K. Rowling. And that title just has to have me ask a question. <laughs> I mean, you know, that is an interesting title for a book. Tell me how all those, uh, tell me how all those uh, people come together. Well, in that book, I, I co-edited that book with a woman that I went to graduate school with. Her name is Kathy Murlock Jackson. And uh, we were in a cohort together and we've stayed in touch uh, electronically, you know, email and telephone calls and things like that uh, for 40 years. I have have not actually seen her in person, uh, even though we've done book after book together and collaborate in all sorts of projects. But one of the things that we, um, both of our PhDs are uh, in American studies, in particular, American cultural studies. Um, when we both uh, have a shared interest in sort of the history and culture of childhood within the United States. And so Shapers of American Childhood is sort of uh, outgrowth of our interest in that area. But it's an edited book. I wrote two of the chapters in that book, but it's an edited book. Um, I wrote one of the chapters in that book. I wrote a chapter about LeVar Burton um, of uh, reading Rainbow Fame. But um, what we try to do in that book was um, uh, look at the people, the individuals who've made a difference in the lives of children, people like Dr. Seuss or Dr. Spock. But we didn't want it to be just authors. We are trying to look at other people who have had an impact on childhood in the 20th century um, and 21st century as we're moving into this new century. Um, and so uh, we didn't initially have all of those three names listed in the subtitle, but uh, that came about because we were trying to show by throwing in Dr. Spock, the famous baby doctor, into that list that we were not just doing children's authors per se. Although yeah, well, it's also also a good way to sell some books, you know, put those names in there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, more from, names, from, the more things you can put on the title, the more the more little buzzwords you, you click. Yeah, from from The Wizard of Oz to Harry Potter. That's that's great yeah. with uh, Dr. Spock in the middle. All right. Well, look, uh, you know, you, you've been – I know it was really hard when I asked you to do this to pick, you know, just 10 books uh, from 2021 uh, because you have so many, you know, wonderful books that you feature – on your blog, as do I, if I were asked to pick out my top 10, it'd be really hard, but, uh, Hey, I've asked you to do it and you've stepped up and you've given us, uh, some, some great books to, uh, think about and listeners, uh, next week, in addition to this, uh, these juicy nuggets you're getting today, we're really going to fill up your, uh, your list of books to read because next week, uh, I've got Cindy Burnett. She's a podcaster and book influencer from Houston, and she's given us 10 books to read from around the country that she's been, uh, reading. So you're going to have a lot on your list, but we're going to start local here. Uh, we're going to start uh, with, uh, I don't know these are any particular order, but, uh, and I recognize some of these books on the list, but I'm going to throw out the the first title, Mark, and then you can tell us the author and talk a little bit about the book. So the mm -hmm. first one we're going to talk about is Doctors and Friends. 
Okay, Doctors and Friends is the third book by Kimry Martin. Kimry Martin is a remarkable author coming here, uh, writing here in Charlotte. Um, one of the most successful authors in terms of sales that I think Charlotte has at the moment. Um, but one of the things I find really interesting about Kimry Martin is that she um, came to writing from her career as a physician, as an emergency room physician. Uh, she's worked as, a, as an emergency room physician here in Charlotte for a number of years. Um, and the experience of working in the medical field here in Charlotte um, and elsewhere, but mostly here in Charlotte, uh, really has infused, it, that experience is infused in her writing. So it isn't as if the medical side of her stories is just a kind of a backdrop. That's not the case at all. She really incorporates in an integral sort of way uh, the medical uh, milieu, if you will, um, in, in, in her books and really delves into, you know, the relationships that doctors have amongst each other and, uh, the difficult calls that doctors have to make and when they're dealing with uh, life, literally life and death situations. Um, but she's also especially interested in how that high pressure cooker sort of environment that doctors live in, um, impinges their, relationships with their friends, affects their relationships with their families. Um, and she, writing out of her own experience, um, builds that into all of her novels. She, so this is her third novel, the one that just came out, Doctors and Friends. Um, but is as its title suggests, it's about friendship. She wrote the book um, just before the first draft of the book, as you know, Landis, because I know you're an author as well as a podcaster and as you refer to yourself as a reformed lawyer. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm reformed yet. I'm recovering. How about that? You're a recovering yeah. lawyer. Okay. <laughs> well, my wife used to be a lawyer too, and she's a writer as well. So I uh, I know what that process is like. It's kind of a detoxification process. It takes a while. Um, yeah. But um, uh, what... Um, Kimberly Martin has done is draw on her own uh, experiences in all three of her books. But when you write a book, it takes a while. Uh, it doesn't, you don't just write a book and instantaneously it's done. It goes through multiple iterations or drafts. And so she wrote the first draft of Doctors and Friends, um, finished it just before the outbreak of COVID-19. Um, but Interestingly, in a kind of a prophetic way, and Doctors and Friends, she wrote about and just imagined from her medical experience that what would happen if a pandemic, a global pandemic, uh, hit uh, in contemporary America, and uh, what would what would that do? And so um, she wasn't writing about COVID nineteen, but nobody believes her because it's you know what she envisioned came to pass uh, as soon as she finished the first draft of the book. But she, um, you know, the book went through multiple drafts, but she stuck with her original vision. Um, I heard her say at one point that she said she's going to have to get some kind of a T-shirt or something that would say, not COVID-19, because it really <laughs> isn't COVID-19. Um, yeah. But its impact um, on the relationships with the doctors in the book um, is very similar to what 
people in the medical profession have to deal with today uh, with COVID-19 in terms of uh, responding to something, mm-hmm. making difficult decisions and um, having it ripple through to so many different sides of one's life. Yeah, that's that's uh, great. I, so uh, Kimmy Martin, I had her on the podcast when we did the uh, mm-hmm. second book, The Antidote for Everything. And mm-hmm. uh, it was right about that time when, you know, she was working on her next book and she told me the plot line. And then it was just a month later uh, when, the, when the real pandemic hit. And I thought, well, nobody's going to believe that uh, she thought this up, you know, before this happened. But uh, she's got she's got a good, good writing style and it's great. So uh, glad to know that it's doing well. All right, the next book, uh, The Tannery. I know about this book. Yeah, it's a, another <laughs> former lawyer, just like you. Um, so, uh, so uh, Michael Almond. Um, Michael Almond uh, divides his time now from he doesn't spend all of his time living here in Charlotte, but he, he still has a home in Charlotte. Um, but Michael Almond uh, worked as a, a, a high-powered lawyer here in Charlotte for years and years. Um, and in writing the tannery, he draws really heavily on his interest and expertise in the law. But rather than write about the law as it exists today, he's writing about the law as it existed in the turn of the century, not the turn, you know, that right around 1900 and thereabouts. Um, and it, it uh, it's a novel that's set in Wilkes County, North Carolina. Uh, it, it deals with a uh, possibility of a miscarriage of justice. Um, and uh, there is a crusading young lawyer, a crusading lawyer who's determined to uh, the African-American man who's been accused and kind of prejudged to be guilty of killing a, a white woman. Um, and, uh, and he's trying to, uh, in the structure of the legal system of the time, uh, see if he can uh, get justice to prevail. But it's a, it's a, it's a, he refers to the book as a medic, as a, not a medical, I'm getting back to Kimberly, as a legal thriller. Um, and so the law, just like the medical situation is integral to, uh, Kimberly's book, the legal situation is integral to, uh, the tannery. Um, but Michael's also, uh, very much interested in local history or state history. Well, really, Southern history. He, 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 it's an avocation of his. Um, and so he, um, he draws on that expertise. He really knows a lot about, uh, what life was like in that part of North Carolina during that time period. He's done a lot of primary research where he could really, uh, get a sense of, you know, how, the world worked back then. He, it's a, it's not a, when he's depicting the South during that time period, it isn't all bigots and prejudice, but he doesn't shy away from that side of Southern history. He, he tackles it face on, face, you know, he really wrestles with it, but, um, but nor is it a depiction that's just a kind of a stereotype of, uh, of that we sometimes see about the South of it's just a bunch of racists and bigots. Um, he doesn't do that either. Um, it's, it's a sophisticated uh, and historically rich uh, picture of, of um, you know, so kind of sort of social history, but with a really interesting and compelling story uh, behind it. Yeah. Um, so for listeners, uh, if y'all want to go back and listen to uh, that episode, it just came out in November. 
uh, right before Thanksgiving with Michael Almond. Uh, it's a murder mystery. It's a legal thriller. As as Mark says, it's set in Ross County around the turn of the century. It deals with, you know, what was happening in the Democratic Party at the time um, and uh, at the time when, you know, they were coming out of the fusion movement and a lot of uh, Jim Crow was being born in, in the state. And so a great setting for this and a lot of fun uh, in a place called uh, – uh, not the lost colony, but they were kind of a lost province back then, as I think what they called Wilkes County at the time, because it was cut off from the railroads and cut off from everything else. All right. In order to get through 10 books here, we're going to have to pick it up. So Salvation is the next book on the list. Okay. So Salvation has an interesting Genesis story. Salvation, um, the author that's listed on the cover is Avery Caswell. Avery Caswell is a pen name. Uh, so the, the name of the author, the real name is Leslie Rindox, but uh, in, in my interactions with her in terms of the book, she wanted to be called Avery Caswell, so I tried to respect that. Um, but it's an historical novel as well, but set in uh, more recent times, set in the early 1970s. And it deals with an actual event uh, that occurred uh, in Charlotte where uh, uh two girls in the Jewett Hills neighborhood of Charlotte, a predominantly African-American neighborhood at the time, uh, were kidnapped by a woman, mysterious woman, sort of a itinerant preacher type, um, maybe a con artist. And nobody really knew much about her, um, but um, that really happened. And the, one of the women, uh, one of the girls who uh, was kidnapped and eventually she was restored to her family and nothing horrible happened to the girl, but it was traumatizing nonetheless, uh, approached, um, so we'll call her Avery, um, uh, about this uh, experience of hers and thought maybe it might be something uh, that would be worthy of turning it into a novel. And so uh, Avery Caswell interviewed this woman and they collaborated together and it took many years it took 17 years for the initial contact to the actual publication of the novel called salvation um to come out uh but the but the collaborative relationship there uh continued throughout that whole time period and um i think it's a, a interesting depiction of uh, Charlotte in the South, because it isn't just in Charlotte, um, in the early 1970s. Uh, and that uh, I think reflects very nicely, very uh, accurately, uh, some of the dynamics of uh, what Charlotte was like back in those days in the 1970s. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I was growing up in that time, but probably know nothing about uh, that story. And I love his historical Fiction. I'm glad that uh, that one's set in Charlotte. I look forward to that one. Uh, all right, number four, we're back to uh, the pandemic. Uh, this is Pandemic Stories of COVID-19 created by the Charlotte Journalism Collaborative and Boom Charlotte. What's this all about? Well, this is a really interesting, innovative uh, take on COVID. Uh, COVID-19. So we tend to think of COVID-19 as a, a, you know, in a medical context, which of course it's it, it accurate, but it's rippled through our communities, our relationships with others in very tangible ways and still continues today. Well, um, the Charlotte Journalism Collaborative 
is an innovative, uh, loose affiliation of different uh, journalistic enterprises. Um, and they work on, you know, they primarily work on uh, homelessness and a housing crisis in Charlotte, but they do other things as well. Boom Charlotte is an art-driven uh, organization. And they joined forces and decided that they wanted to take a more creative approach to how has the pandemic actually impacted people here in Charlotte. And so they um, did it in the form of a graphic novel. It's not truly a graphic novel, but it looks like a graphic novel. It's not a graphic novel in the sense that it doesn't tell one story. It's, uh, it tells the overarching story of COVID in Charlotte in the first year of the pandemic, but it does it in this in segmented ways. But each individual story is illustrated in the style that a graphic novel would be illustrated. And the illustrators, as well as the writers, are all from Charlotte. So it really is a creative and compelling glimpses into how COVID has impacted real people here in Charlotte. But I love the fact that it's done so in such a creative way. Just like we were talking about the public library, the public library has been a partner in, in this as well. And the copies of the book um, were distributed for free um, in various different branches of the public library. Uh, but I really am impressed with it. It's kind of an interesting veer off of what we think of in terms of journalism, uh, maybe moving more into what some people refer to as new journalism. Uh, but it, uh, it's a very creative book. And uh, I, was, uh, I was glad when I uh, accidentally discovered it. That's great. All right. Number five on the list is List of Ten. Well, list of 10 in the next book, Phoebe Unfired. Um, I want to, of course, I'm a children's literature specialist. So, you know, my PhD is in American studies, and I've been a chair of an English department for a long time. Um, so my interests uh, go beyond children's literature, certainly. But one of the things that many people don't realize is that Charlotte and the Charlotte area is a hotbed of uh, for children's literature. We have so many successful children's authors, young adult authors, picture book authors, picture book illustrators working in Charlotte. It's, it's really quite remarkable. And, and there's a, a kind of a cadre, a community of uh, children's authors and young adult authors uh, working in Charlotte. Um, and uh, some of these authors have really done some pretty remarkable uh, books. Uh, and one of those books is The List of Ten uh, by Haley Gomez. And uh, this book um, is a young adult book, um, but it, it it's very compelling and very disturbing. It deals with a, 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 a boy, a teenage boy who has Tourette syndrome, um, and he is just convinced that his life is not worth living. So he... Um, He's decided he's going to go out in a bang. So he draws up a list of things that he's going to do before he commits suicide. That's the final thing on his list of 10. Um, but in the process of doing this, uh, trying to go through his list, um, yeah, he, he learns about people and his place in the world and the value of living uh, life. And he, um, he, uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil the story, but, um, but it, 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 
it's not, you know, one of the things people sometimes refer to certain books as a problem novel because the character has a problem. And so uh, the people sometimes call this, well, this is a problem novel and that it's all revolving around a problem. But the character is not reduced to just his problem. The character is much is a full character who deals with real life and real life involves problems. Um, we don't, none of us live in a world that's problem free. Um, and I think the author did a fantastic job with this book. Um, and I highly recommend it. Okay, Mark, that's great. That sounds very, uh, compelling. The, the, you mentioned Phoebe Unfired, another young adult novel. That'll be number six. Uh, mm-hmm. but just, just to recap though, we've got the first five doctors and friends by Kimry Martin, the Tannery by Michael Allman, Salvation by Avery Caswell, the, the Pandemic Stories and List of Ten uh, by Haley Gomez. And listeners, all these 10 recommendations are going to be in our show notes at charlotterspodcast.com. So you don't have to be scribbling notes here. You can go check that out uh, and look at the, uh, look look them up and uh, read what you like. But uh, let's go to this next one here, another young adult novel. So Phoebe Unfired um, by Amali, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, Jean, um, is another young adult novel. It's written by a Charlotte author, but it's set in New York. Um, and it also ties in a way to um, the pandemic. The pandemic has rippled through all of our lives. So if you have an impulse like this character, the central character in the story, who has uh, a tremendous fear of germs and 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 all of that uh, can, um, kind of phobia that people sometimes have. Well, the pandemic has just set that uh, off for, for all sorts of people, including for this girl who becomes very afraid to make contact with other people because her fear of germs, of infections, of viruses, of, uh, of COVID um, is resulting in herself living in a bubble where she feels like she cannot make contact with other people. This girl works, if I remember correctly, in a, in a bookstore. Um, and so part of the story deals with her interacting with, uh, with somebody in the bookstore, uh, trying to figure out a way to, to, to live life, even though, yes, we are all in a bubble these days. Um, and I see that all over the place. So it's a story, um, it's a New York City story, but it's written by a Charlotte writer. And it's a story that I think we all can relate to because, you know, with, um, you know, just going to the grocery store, you know, you see somebody without a mask and you just freeze up. At least I do sometimes. It's like, oh, I don't know. I've had my, I've had my booster. Maybe it's okay. Should I walk down another aisle? I'm not sure. Um, but, um, but for the case of Phoebe, um, it's more than just a kind of a, uh, a hesitancy, uh, a, a precaution. It's, it, it's, it turns into something akin to an actual, uh, phobia about just being around other people. Um, but you know, we're social animals and if we cannot connect with other people, uh, we're destined to, uh, have lonely lives. Yeah, that's been one of the difficult things uh, about the pandemic, not being able to interact the way we uh, have before, and particularly writers, because you've mentioned this on uh, the Storage Charlotte blog, and I have too on the podcast. The writing community is very supportive of one another, very connected, and we have classes and we have get-togethers, and that wasn't as much possible during the pandemic, and hopefully that's going to open up. Uh, people get your get your shots and uh, 
do what you have to do. All right. The next author here has been on the podcast before. She has also, uh, she teaches at Charlotte Litch, teaches out at uh, UNC Charlotte, Paula Martinak and her book, Testimony. Yeah, I, I am so impressed with Paula. Uh, I know her uh, as a colleague, um, but uh, she um, is very talented writer. Um, so she writes, uh, mostly uh, her books deal uh, with lesbian characters. Um, that is the case with testimony. Uh, Paula is also interested in historical fiction and has actually done workshops on writing historical fiction for Charlotte Lit and other organizations over the years. Um, but testimony is a story that's set in the right at the beginning of the 1960s. And it deals with a woman professor uh, who teaches at an all-women's school in uh, college in, in Virginia. And uh, she is, um, you know, pursuing her career and everything's going fine, but there's a kind of a, a hysteria that seems to be sweeping through the community in terms of uh, kind of tied to the attitudes associated with McCarthyism. And she, um, uh, she, she ends up being in a situation, the central character in the story, uh, where she's accused uh, in a kind of uh, actual legal sense, uh, is being unfit to be a teacher um, because she uh, because she's a lesbian. And uh, what Paula does in that book is really show how this kind of prejudice ripples through in people's lives uh, that is so destructive. But. She, there's a celebratory quality in the book as well. Paula always writes three-dimensional characters. Uh, she always uh, uh, gives her characters a lot of depth. They're not mouthpieces for a particular cause. Uh, she, they are fully developed characters. And uh, she's, a, she's a Charlotte treasure as far as I'm concerned. She's written – she's not from Charlotte. Um, but, uh, but she's been writing several novels, uh, since she came to Charlotte some years ago. And, uh, she's, um, uh, testimony is, uh, is I think, uh, excellent example. I understand she has a new novel that's just about to come out, but I don't know anything about it yet. Um, yeah. but, uh, she, she keeps these novels coming out one after another. She's a very prolific writer. Yeah. And. When I had her on the podcast, uh, she'd written a book called The Ada Decade, which is about a school teacher in Charlotte mm -hmm. who uh, was uh, a lesbian and was and they were having to navigate, uh, you know, life in Charlotte in the 50s, 60s, 70s. That's why they called it the Ada Decades. And, it you know, it was with the social change. And, and, and you would think that over time uh, people would come around. But, of course, uh, Charlotte's podcast is not a political show. But, you know, our North Carolina lieutenant governor can't seem to keep his mouth shut when it comes to uh, LGBTQ issues and is out there preaching and sermonizing. I saw some editorial cartoon that I thought fit perfectly. He, he had the sermon in front of him and he was criticizing LGBTQ people and the devil was standing beside him and says, preach it, brother. People are people. And some people don't get that. And that's enough for my sermon today. I'll move on. But uh, I just want to say that I'm glad that Paul is writing about these issues. And I think it's uh, it's good if we could all just, uh, you know, recognize uh, that uh, everybody is different and uh, everybody is the same. So with that in mind and my sermon being over, we'll go to a nonfiction work here. It's called No Common Grounds, Confederate Monuments and the Ongoing Fight for Racial Justice.
Okay, this book is by Karen Cox, who is a history professor here in at UNC Charlotte, and I've known Karen for years. Karen is a um, very interested in what's sometimes referred to as public history, uh, looking at uh, institutions such as museums and historical organizations and other uh, movements within communities to bring history to a larger public and not just simply within the confines of academia. Uh, but she has become a very prominent person in this ongoing controversy about what to do about the monuments that are so prevalent across the South tied to the Confederacy. Uh, and she uh, has done a lot of research on this and has studied the history of these monuments, how they came to be the Daughters of the Confederacy and all of these things that were behind the cre creation of these uh, statues and the values that they embodied um, and the controversies that have come about in more recent years as uh, these monuments uh, seem to fly in the face of uh, Black Lives Matter and other uh, social justice and racial justice movements of today. Um, and so she's really gone full scale into this whole controversy in a very fulsome way. Um, I, I, you know, one of the things, and I write story, my story Charlotte blog, is I don't write, I don't feature a lot of nonfiction books in the blog, but there are lots of nonfiction books that are coming out. Um, you know, in my own institution, I'm aware of lots of them. Some of them are more esoteric and that they be they would be of interest to people in that particular field, whatever that particular field might be. But I think that No Common Grounds, that's why I put it on my top 10 list, it speaks to everybody. If you live in the South, if you've thought about these issues, No Common Ground speaks to you. It relates to your life. It relates to life in contemporary South and the South of the past. Um, so uh, I, I commend Karen for being able to take her background as an historian and write for an audience that goes beyond other historians. You know, so many of us in academia, and probably me too in some cases, we write for a kind of a closed uh, ecosystem where we're writing for other people just like ourselves. Uh, but Karen goes beyond that, and No Common Grounds is an example of that. Well, the title, I think, nails it because um, I, I'm, I have seen that people have a wide variety of opinions about you know what to do with Confederate monuments and also uh, when they became about and what they, uh, what they signify. And I didn't realize that a lot of them weren't built until – the Jim Crow era, um, and they, they didn't just spring up, you know, right after after the Civil War. Um, that's interesting. I'm glad that's on the list. All right, two more books. Uh, one, the, the first one here is uh, number nine is Poetry, Nara Escapes, A Poetic Diary of the Coronavirus Pandemic. Again, we got the coronavirus coming back into it. Yeah, well, <laughs> part of our experience. This book is a collection of poems by Tannery Ojade. Tannery Ojade friend of mine. Um, he uh, is a uh, remarkable writer and poet, uh, held up as one of the top poets of Nigeria. Uh, but he actually lives here in Charlotte and teaches uh, in the UNC Charlotte's Department of Africana Studies. And uh, he's written, he's a, primarily a poet. He's written so many books 
uh, collections of poetry uh, that speak to the African experience, the experience of uh, being somebody who from, who's from Nigeria. But in this particular book, Narrow Escapes, uh, he, he moves it to his own family, his own kids, uh, in terms of how the pandemic impacted him and his kids and his neighborhood. Um, and he does it in the form of this uh, series. There's a diary. There's a different poem. He, he gives a date for each of the poems. Um, it's not a date for every single day, but it's arranged sequentially. Um, and when you read the poems in order, as he intends you to, it really is kind of like a verse novel. It's a term we sometimes use for novels that are told in the form of uh, poems arranged in a particular format. And Narrow Escapes feels like a verse novel to me. Um, but what hits me the most about Narrow Escapes is that the poems that are personal, he's talking about the anguish of his one of his kids testing positive uh, for COVID and what is that going to do to the family and um, uh, his frustration, like, oh, now am I going to get it? What's going to happen to the family as a, as, as a little unit? Um, it's just so riveting because it's so personal. You know, the problem with COVID-19, I think, in terms of the coverage is it's just too blasted many statistics. So we see all these charts and we see all of these rates and all of these numbers, but numbers don't tell a story by themselves. You need a story behind the numbers to understand its meaning. And I think that that is something that both Narrow Escapes, uh, Tannery's uh, poetry collection, and getting back to pandemic stories of the COVID, in both instances, those are examples of where the statistics uh, tied to COVID get translated into stories that we can relate to, uh, identify with, um, and, uh, and, and, and think about in a more personal way and not just think about it in terms of uh, the headlines. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good good analysis there. All right, number 10, uh, this is another one of my favorite local authors, Mark DeCastric. Mark is a mystery writer. I think he's written uh, upwards of uh, 20 novels now. He's been on the podcast several times. He's been a supporter of the podcast, and uh, he sets his books in the Asheville area with uh, two different series. Uh, one, I think, is called the Bearing Berry series. I think this one that you're going to talk about is out of the other and Sam Blackman's mystery series. Yeah, yeah. So this this one's Fatal Scores. Tell us about Fatal Scores. Well, first got to tell you about Mark, um, because Mark yeah. DeCastric and I go way, 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 <laughs> way, 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 way back. Um, so Mark got his master's degree in the English department uh, here at UNC Charlotte. And the main person he worked with was me. Um, <laughs> so he wrote a uh, creative thesis uh, that was a mystery novel intended for a young adult audience but historically based 
Um, and uh, so I was the director of that thesis. So I worked with Mark when he first had a glimmer that he so, wanted so, to be a mystery writer. So, so you're saying you're taking credit for all these I 20 novels? I took total credit for Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything he learned, he learned from me. No, that's not true at all. But, uh, <laughs> but no, Mark and I go way, way back. And uh, one of the things I noticed with Mark when he first started taking courses from me, when he first started his graduate program, was this tremendous creative zeal, but he really wanted to write mysteries. He knew he wanted to write mysteries from the get-go. That was what he wanted to do. Um, and, you know, in the context of uh, creative writing, uh, sometimes these forms of writing that are sometimes referred to as genre fiction, um, uh, if you really want to write genre fiction, sometimes that's harder to do in a university setting. But Mark wanted to write mysteries. That's what he wanted to do. And uh, I gave him a green light to do it. And um, I am so impressed with what he's done uh, in, in all the years since then. Uh, but he also has a fascination uh, for the uh, our neighbor to, up in the mountains for Asheville. He doesn't live in Asheville, but he goes there all the time. He's really gotten to know the community of Asheville very well. He's sort of like a, a itinerant member of Asheville because uh, he goes there so often. But um, he bases a lot of his stories, uh, his mystery novels in Asheville and the Asheville area, the, that, that mountain area around there. He sort of grew up in that area in Hendersonville, if I remember correctly. Um, his father was a, uh, for a time, his father was an undertaker, uh, you know, dealt with funerals and such. And uh, that experience, I think, had an impact on Mark as he was growing up. He tells stories about that sometimes, uh, what it was to grow up with a father who did such thing, you know, was an undertaker, uh, using an old-fashioned term. But uh, that fed into his um, his interest in writing mysteries and dealing with unresolved murders and uh, that whole milieu of the mystery, it just, it, 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 it floats Mark's boat. So uh, he is a really prolific mystery writer. We have some others, Kathy Pickens and others in Charlotte who write mysteries, but Mark really has just uh, established himself as one of Charlotte's foremost mystery writers. Now, Fatal Scores is part of that Sam Blackman mystery series. He he writes many of his mysteries in a series. Um, but he oftentimes, what Mark will do is he'll take um, some interesting tidbit about Asheville history or history of a time period and uh, build it into uh, his fictional mysteries. So in the case of uh, this particular book, he draws on real things, real people. They, they sort of figure in the book in a way, like Babe Ruth, the uh, uh, famous baseball fa uh, fame, but also um, Robert Moog of Moog synthesizer fame and combines these things together um, uh, with his uh, fictional detective and his fictional detective sidekick um, and um, really shows a side of Asheville that... Um, you know, it's intriguing. If you, I don't know Asheville nearly as well as Mark does, but I'm intrigued with how he, he, Asheville is kind of like a character in the stories. They, it's more than just a, a backdrop setting. Uh, and I think you see that in Fatal Scores. The book came out in uh, the uh, beginning of the year. It's one of the first books I featured on 
the Story Charlotte blog for the beginning of this year. Um, and I, I highly recommend it. I think he's got another book up his sleeves. He always has another book up his sleeves. Um, he has his own uh, his own uh, web page, and I check it from time to time to see what's Mark up to because I'm curious about uh, what's next on the uh, on the Mark DeCastric uh, agenda. Yeah. And his last couple of uh, titles have been really good. The one before this one was called Murder in Rat Alley. And, uh, you know, what a great title. And it, and it has to do with the fact that there is a street in uptown Asheville that uh, sort of backs up to a higher elevation. And there's a little street under it called Rat Alley, but it's nothing more than something that's going underneath the, the earthen part of the, the dam there. Um Anyway, Mark is, uh, as you said, a great writer. Check that out, Fatal Scores. Check out all these. They'll be in the show notes, listeners, at charlotterspodcast.com. Mark, before we wrap up here, um, what's the future here next year for for Storage Charlotte blog? More of the same? Oh, uh, yeah. I'll keep doing it as long as people are interested in, in, in looking at it. I, when I first started my Storage Charlotte blog, uh, I was uh, one of the people who first responded to it said, you're going to run out of material in a month. Um, but no, I have not run out of material. And sometimes, you know, the week will come up and I say, I wonder what I'm going to write about this week. But something always pops up and I always write about something new. I write a new blog every single week. Um, and I think that speaks to the richness of Charlotte. Uh, that This is a culturally active city. This is a rich city, rich with stories, rich with a respect for for uh, the storytelling tradition, and uh, oh, there will always be new stories for. I, I end every story Charlotte blog by using the phrase "Story Charlotte" in the last sentence because I kind of think of Story Charlotte as a place. It's not a blog. Uh, I mean, it is a blog. It's my blog, but it's also a place. I think of Charlotte as not just a city. It's Story Charlotte. It's a city full of <laughs> stories. That's right. And it's also a city full of storytellers. Somebody said to mm -hmm. me the same thing. Well, if you start a podcast and call it Charlotte's Podcast, you're going to run out of authors. And well, not not so. I mean, I, I have, you know, even having gone to books and putting out uh, two a week, I mean, I would say that now, you know, probably 50% of the uh, the guests have some connection to the Charlotte area or, or a little regional. And the other 50% are coming from about 28 or 30 other states because people are now finding me and want to be on a podcast and talk about their books. But there is a there are a lot of authors, Mark, in and around this thing called the Charlotte metropolitan area who are putting out great books. Yeah, something to be proud of. Um, and uh, I'm glad to be a little uh, player in the process. And I'm glad to have gotten to know people like you and the people at Charlotte Lit and other folks who uh, I feel like we're kind of a, a little community of uh, advocates of uh, the Charlotte writers and readers in, 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 uh, in the interactions that we have amongst each other. Yeah, I liked uh, when you were kind enough to feature the podcast on your blog. The title was Two Peas in a Pod because uh, you were doing it uh, on the written blog and I was doing it on the audio blog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast. Yeah. I think we're like brothers in that sense. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, um, Mark, uh, I want to thank you for being uh, a part of Charlotte Rears Podcast and look forward to more to come. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the wonderful work you do with your Charlotte Readers podcast. It's a real asset to uh, our community. I appreciate that. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free 
at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.